Welcome to Mammoth Community Christian Church. It's so wonderful to worship the Lord with you today, whether you're here with us in person or joining us online. One thing I'm discovering as I talk to people about their experience of the pandemic is that there seems to be a widespread weariness, just this this sense that people just feel so worn down by what we've been through the last 16 months. These months have been filled with lockdowns, distancing restrictions, upheavals in our work life, in our school life, increased uncertainty about the future. This has a way of wearing us out, wearing us down, exhausting us. And I think that this then in part has led, has been a a major factor in this trend that news sources are reporting on that, that so many people are trying to switch their jobs. So many people right now are looking for new workplaces. Perhaps they've discovered that they enjoy working from home and they, they want to find a position where they can do that all the time. Perhaps they just want a fresh start. They're, they're just tired of how life has been and so they're looking for something new. And I think that this is just one small indication that this pandemic has made it very difficult for many to continue walking down that path that they've been on. Today, though, we're going to learn of some of the benefits of persevering, some of the benefits of staying the course, of continuing to walk down that path before us. We're currently in a series on the seven churches in the book of Revelation. The last two times I spoke, we've been focusing on the history and the character, the the nature of this church in Ephesus, which would have been the first church that a messenger carrying this letter of Revelation would have arrived at after the messenger left the island of Patmos, where the Apostle John is writing this letter. At one time during Paul's life, this church in Ephesus had been a very, very loving church, but it was also a church that tolerated false teaching. Now, though, several decades later, Jesus is speaking to the church, and we see that that they now correctly teach the truth of Jesus Christ, but they no longer are living out and demonstrating the love of Jesus Christ. As a result, Jesus warns this church to rekindle the love that they once had at at first. And if they do not, Jesus says that he'll remove their lampstand from his presence. Remember in Revelation, each lampstand is a distinct church. Jesus is saying, if you don't rekindle your love, I'm going to remove your lampstand from my presence. They're in danger, in other words, of being rejected as a church, of having that light that they're so proud of, the light of their lampstand snuffed out. And we learn that it's possible to be a community of people who know and understand and even teach God's truth, but to still be rejected by God as a church to be removed from Jesus' presence because we fail to live out Jesus' love. We can have everything, but if we lack love, 
that in God's eyes, we have nothing. We then saw last time that Jesus gives us a very specific path for those times when we discover that we're full of God's truth. We just, we know it all, but we're empty of God's love. In moments like these, Jesus calls us to remember, to remember that love that we once had at first, that love for those outside our church who don't yet know Jesus, that love for those inside the church, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that love we once had for God. And then Jesus calls us to repent, which means to change direction. We once had been going this way, but we're going to change direction. We're going to move in this direction with our life. We're going to live in an opposite way with our life. We're going to rekindle that love. And then Jesus says that we are to do the things that we did at first. And we learn that the type of love that God calls us to rekindle and that God calls us to live out, it's a very specific type of love. It's agape love. And agape love is active love. Because agape is active love, we choose whether or not we're going to demonstrate this love with our lives. And the way we experience this love, agape love, is through our actions, through what we do. Furthermore, the absence of agape in our lives is indicated by our lack of action. We've stopped acting, demonstrating God's love in practical ways. This is why Jesus says that the way to return to that love that we once had at first is by doing the things that we once did at first through our actions, through concrete, practical actions. This is how God allows the love with which he fills our lives to overflow from us to the world. Today we're going to focus on one very important thing that the church in Ephesus got right. They did something very important right. Let's read our passage for today. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Now there's a great irony in the spiritual life and that is this. None of us enjoys or appreciates or desires trouble and difficulty and adversity. This is only natural and human. We all prefer seasons of blessing and, and comfort and ease. And yet the truth is that we won't adequately grow to become the people that God is calling us to be without difficult seasons of hardship and trial. It's, it's not the trials and hardships in and of themselves that are valuable to our growth, but it's the perseverance, 
that God forms within us through these difficulties that, that enable God to shape us, or that God uses, I should say, God uses these difficulties and trials to shape us to be the people that he wants us to be. And perhaps at this point, an athletic analogy would be helpful to us. When a person exercises by lifting weights, they're forcing their body to do work that their bodies do not want to do. Our bodies do not want this. We just want to relax. We want to be peaceful and calm and at ease. But these weights can help a person either increase in health, burn calories, become stronger and healthier, or these same weights, as a person lifts them, can injure them horribly. And so if the difference between these outcomes, between having the, the weights you lift help you, help you grow in health, grow in strength, or injure you depends on something called proper form. To lift weights with proper form means that you keep your back straight, you, you move your limbs in the right direction, you hold the weights very, very carefully. But if you don't use proper form, if you use improper form by holding the weights the wrong way, by twisting your back during the movement, by moving your limbs in ways they weren't designed to move, you can really, really hurt yourself, permanently even. It can be a horrible injury. In a similar way, we'll see today that when we meet difficulty and adversity in our lives, with proper spiritual form, then this difficulty and adversity becomes for us spiritually like weight that we're lifting with proper physical form. In other words, adversities in life can help us become spiritually healthy, spiritually strong, but the proper spiritual form that we need to encounter these, these heavy weights of adversity and trial in our life, that proper form is faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we'll see this today as we get deeper into Scripture. So when, so to speak, we're forced to lift these difficulties and adversities with proper spiritual form, this, this action, this spiritual exercise builds a spiritual muscle called perseverance. And we're going to see today that then perseverance enables us then to develop every other spiritual virtue that God is calling us to grow in and develop through spiritual exercise, but we need that perseverance as the starting point. We need that perseverance in order to hang in there with the trial, with the lesson God's teaching us so that we grow stronger spiritually, so that we grow healthier. In James chapter 1, we learn more about this, how God uses perseverance in these ways. Remember that James is the younger earthly brother of Jesus Christ. And it seems that during Jesus' earthly ministry, James didn't believe in who Jesus claimed to be. James didn't believe that he was the Messiah. But at some point after Jesus' death and resurrection, James not only 
believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, but James becomes one of the key leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And so he wrote this letter of James to Jewish believers who are struggling with hardship and mistreatment because of their faith in Christ. You'll remember that in Acts 7, when persecution really begins to break out in earnest against the church, there's this one deacon, one of the first deacons of the church, Stephen, and he's executed for his faith. And we then read this, that on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And so James is writing his book, to his letter to Jewish Christians. These believers had experienced this persecution. They'd been scattered for their faith. And now it seems very likely that they're also experiencing additional problems, additional hardships and adversities because they're following Jesus. And James is trying to help them process this to see the great gift God wants to give them through the hardship, through the difficulty. He wants them to understand what's going on and and to see it in the right way, in in, uh, the clear light, to see it as God sees it. And we can see that adversity and difficulty are are at the top of his mind because this is what he leads with. This is the first thing he addresses in his letter. And he says this, right at the beginning, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In the rest of our time together today, we're going to unpack this radical statement that James is giving us about perseverance in order to learn more about how this perseverance is an essential ingredient. It's a a key aspect of our life of faith in Christ. And it unlocks this door to growth for us. It unlocks this door to growth in every other spiritual virtue that God will ever form in our lives. We need perseverance to receive and to grow in them. Now, in this op- these opening lines of James 1, James immediately captures our attention. And the way he does this is by saying something that's so shocking, so contrary to our view of life, that, that it causes us to pause and to wonder, why would he say this? What's he trying to communicate? How can this make sense? And his shocking statement, attention-grabbing statement is this, consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, when we face trials, difficulties, adversities, hardships, joy is the last thing we think about. Joy is the last emotion that we expect to feel. We don't want trials. We don't want difficulties. 
But James is saying something more than, than just that we should look on the bright side of our situation. In fact, he's not saying look on the bright side of the situation. Rather, he's telling us that we should view these difficulties, these hardships, these trials as a source of great joy in our lives. Now, in the Greek, this phrase is all joy, which suggests that he's saying that we're to view every aspect of the hardships and trials in our lives as leading to joy. Now, I I have to emphasize that this is not saying that every aspect of the trials and difficulties we face in life are good things. No, because many of our trials and our difficulties are caused by the sinful, harmful behavior of other people. And, And these behaviors could never be condoned or defended as being good. But James is telling us that that when we're the person experiencing the hardship, right, we should, and, and I want to make that clear because sometimes it's easy for us to see someone else in a trial and say, oh, just, you know, James says this, just, it's going to be fine. I want to emphasize, I think this is for us when I'm in the trial, when you're in the trial. This, this isn't like something to just hammer someone else with in a sloppy way. So when we're the one, the person experiencing the hardship, God is calling us to view all the details of the trial not as good things, but as leading to joy. And the the thing that leads to the joy are are not necessarily those details, the, the specifics of the hardships. It's the facing of the trials that leads to joy. Look at that verse. Whenever you face trials, It's the facing of the trials and how we face the trials that opens up or closes joy to us. The facing of the trial brings joy, not the trial itself. It's like a difficult conflict in your workplace or school in which someone has somehow mistreated you. What the other person has done is wrong, it's harmful, it could never be justified. And so we can never call that good, what's happened to you, it's not good, it's it's terrible, it's wrong. But you have a choice as you face that situation, when you face that painful situation well by refusing to harm them back. By, by communicating clearly and fairly your perspective on the situation, by leaving that door to reconciliation open, you can then someday look back, maybe even in the middle of that situation you can look at it. You can look at that situation and have joy, the joy of knowing that you handled that situation well. This, this joy is the opposite of the regret that we sometimes feel when we look back and we realize, wow, I I handled that difficult situation in a way I shouldn't have. I should have handled that much better than I did. This joy is the opposite of that regret. This is knowing I did the right thing in a horrible situation. I faced that trial well. 
It's not the trial, the hardship itself that brings the joy. It's, it's our facing of the trial. This, this is the proper spiritual posture, the proper form of faith and trust in Jesus Christ, which enables our trials to result in joy. James then explains further how this unexpected joy springs from our facing of trials. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, it's at this point that I think that that weightlifting analogy comes clearly into focus. Because when we face painful trials and when we, so to speak, lift the weight of, of these painful afflictions and, and terrible situations with the proper spiritual form of faith and trust in Jesus Christ, these trials in that situation test our faith. James says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces a produces perseverance. The testing of our faith occurs in these trials. Now, in physically exercising by, by lifting weights, there's this constant temptation to overexert ourselves, to, to shift the posture of our back in order to raise these heavy weights into the air. And and this desire, it, it springs from this, this physical need to find different muscles, you know, to, to, to help us lift this weight because the, the muscles that are lifting it are so tired and worn out. We want to shift and, and find different angles to make it easier for our muscles to raise that weight into the air. But the problem is when we do that, when we shift our posture, we, we can severely injure our backs, our joints, because our bodies were not designed to shift that way under heavy loads. Put simply, our physical form and our posture are, is tested. Our ability to maintain proper form under stress, that is tested when we lift weights. James is telling us that our spiritual form our faith and trust in Jesus Christ is tested when we lift the, the spiritual weight of trials and afflictions and hardships and difficulties. In these moments, we have the choice of either maintaining proper spiritual form, maintaining our faith in Jesus, which is being tested, or, or shifting and trying to, to bypass the trial, trying to avoid it somehow, trying to get out of the way, trying to dodge it. But when we do, we bypass the lesson. We, we miss the teaching. We, we miss the formation that God's trying to give us through that tough, heavy, difficult trial. When I face a trial, do I, and my, 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 my spiritual posture of faith in Jesus is tested, am I going to maintain my faith in Christ? Am I going to rely on Him totally for the strength that I need to survive? Am I going to let Him Give me the, the, the strength that I need through meeting with him, through scripture, through prayer, through the body of Christ, the church. 
Or am I going to try to shift my posture, try to find something else to draw strength from in my life other than Jesus? I think that we as believers need to be keenly aware and deeply sensitive to our own coping mechanisms, to our avoidance strategies, to our dissociating tendencies that try to distract us from the trials we're facing so that we don't have to carry that weight. These these tendencies prevent us from facing that trial face on, head on, and, and with faith and trust in Jesus Christ, drawing from Him what we need. Instead, we try to dodge the trial. We try to miss it to make life easier for us. You know, when we read about famous Christian leaders who fall into various types of sin, I sometimes wonder if the point along their road where they, they, they turned off where they they made a a slightly wrong turn in their direction, was when they faced a trial, instead of lifting the weight of that trial with full faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they rather looked to something else to find strength to lift that trial, to help them through, to distract them from the pain of that moment. If we train ourselves to face our trials with full faith and trust in Jesus Christ, James is saying then we can experience a joy of knowing that yes, it's tough. Yes, the situation might even be terribly wrong, but we're facing it well. We're facing it with full faith and trust in the only one who can give us the strength to make it through, to lift this trial, to make it past as he wants us to. James then writes that when we face the trials of our lives with the proper form of full faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and when the weight of those trials tests the strength of our faith, we grow in perseverance. We grow in endurance. He says the testing of your faith produces perseverance. As we've learned, perseverance is a spiritual muscle that that grows as we use it, that that becomes healthier as, as we face the trials and difficulties and make it through, through reliance on Jesus. Yet if James ended his teaching at this point, we wouldn't yet have the full picture of how these trials and then the perseverance we use when we face that trial, how this all leads to joy. This all joy, this fullness of joy that he describes. But we find the explanation in verse 4. He says this, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now now here we find a key statement for how the facing of our trials with the proper form of full faith and trust in Jesus Christ can lead not only to the growth of perseverance, but also to the ultimate outcome of joy. When we persevere through trials, with the proper spiritual form of complete faith, total trust in Jesus Christ, perseverance moves us 
along this pathway towards something that we could call holistic spiritual maturity. Holistic spiritual maturity. There's a a small play on words in the Greek here. Where this Greek word is repeated, it's, it's the Greek word talos, and it can be translated as complete. And so we're basically reading in this, the, the underlined portion that perseverance must complete its work so that we will be complete. Okay? In other words, the spiritual function of perseverance in our lives is not over until we attain this holistic spiritual maturity. The work of perseverance isn't complete until we're complete. This completeness, holistic spiritual maturity. At this point, I need to switch metaphors from exercising and lifting weights to baking bread. After all, you know, after a really tough exercise, you're, we're all really hungry and we want food, or at least that's my awkward way today to switch metaphors in this passage. We've just, we've just exercised, so let's think about food for just a moment. Now, like millions of other people during the pandemic, some of you know that Bonnie and I learned how to bake bread ourselves from scratch. Some of you probably have done this as well. It's been kind of fun. But one thing I learned that I never knew before is that the reason why a baker kneads the bread by pushing into it and pulling it and stretching it is to develop gluten networks within the dough. Now, if you just allowed that dough to relax peacefully and sit there without kneading it, pushing into it, stretching it, folding it, doing all this to it, it would never form these gluten networks and, and it would never become a loaf of bread as we know it. Bread needs these gluten networks. Because as you push into the bread, as you stretch it and pull it, the way trials push into our lives and stretch us and, and pull us, you're forming this, this web, this matrix, this, this gluten network throughout the dough. And what that does is it, it traps the, the air bubbles, right? The yeast of the dough, it, it, it creates these air bubbles. The gluten networks trap that and enable the bread to taste like bread. And, and not only that, but then the gluten networks give the entire structure to the dough. It, it forms the, the internal, cr- what's called the crumb of the bread, in the center of the bread, with, with you know, the, the bread and the air bubbles, and then it helps form the crust on the outside. Without gluten, the structure of the bread this network, the bread would never form correctly. It would be unformed. This enables bread to become what it is. In our spiritual lives, perseverance is a lot like this gluten network, this this web of material, this, this matrix that permeates the whole. Without perseverance, a spiritual gluten network, nothing holds together in our spiritual character, in in our spiritual life, will be incomplete, will be unformed. 
This is because the only way that we become complete, the only way we reach holistic spiritual maturity is through perseverance in, in this area of our life. Okay, and then and in that area of our life, and then in that area of our life. Let me give an example of, of how I think this works. So God allows us to experience a difficulty at work or school, to test our love for those who don't yet know Jesus by allowing somebody to slander us. That slander, that, that is wrong, that's a lie. They should not have done that. It's not okay. But then, but then God gives us the perseverance in this trial and we react lovingly. We don't lash out. We speak truth, yes. We, we, we act lovingly. We open the door to reconciliation. We act like Jesus in that moment. As God's perseverance is at work within us, God then enables our love to increase for that person who did a horrible thing. We, we respond with this agape love, this action love, which doesn't have revenge, but, but responds as Jesus would. In other words, through perseverance in that trial, our love grows. Okay? Then God's, God sends a different trial into our life in a different area, testing our integrity. Perhaps you're filling out your tax forms and no one else will see what you enter on that, that line on Schedule A, Form 1040. Perhaps you're studying for an exam at school and you know that every other friend you have in that class is cheating right now. God calls you to meet that trial, that adversity with perseverance. You, you persevere in that moment. Jesus gives you strength to do what's right. You grow in integrity. Perseverance is integral to your, your growth in integrity. In this way, trial after trial, as God addresses the spiritually weak areas of our lives, God uses perseverance to enable growth in these other character traits. Perseverance is the, the gluten network, the, the matrix that holds all these other spiritual character traits in place and enables them to grow as we respond with perseverance. And when we understand this, we can step back and then we can see the big picture of our lives and see how God gave us this trial and then that trial and we persevered the proper posture of full faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus, help me now. Give me the strength in this trial. Now give me the strength in that trial. And as we persevere looking to Jesus, receiving from him the strength we need, we grow in this area. We grow in that area. And God then starts bringing these trials into our lives to address these weak areas so that we grow. So that we grow. Our perseverance becomes stronger. And we begin to reflect the character traits of Jesus Christ. We look back. We see that God's using every single trial. And he's using our facing of the trials to bring about eternal good. I'm fairly confident this morning that each person here is facing some sort of trial or difficulty in which you need to persevere. 
Today, let's each resolve before God to face our trials well. In the facing of our trials, to look to Jesus Christ, to have this proper spiritual form of total faith, complete trust in Him, drawing from Him what we need so that we can grow, so that we become, can become spiritually healthy spiritually strong, so that God then can use that gluten network that's permeating our life of perseverance to meet us in that weak area, this weak area, and grow us holistically toward this complete spiritual maturity that reflects the truth and the love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Jesus, perseverance is one of those things that none of us want to learn or develop, but that, that is such an essential ingredient to our lives that we need it. And so, God, we ask that right now in the, the lives of everyone here, everyone tuning in, that, Holy Spirit, you'd be at work. You'd be strengthening our perseverance and that you'd be working through our perseverance to address the other weak areas of our lives so that, Lord, we can be whole and complete in you. And I pray that today, even as we just catch a glimpse of this work you're doing in us, that you'd fill us with all joy, this joy that James writes about, that is supernatural, that we'd never have in our trials apart from you. And now, Lord, as we gather around your table where we Look to you, Jesus. We remember what you did in our place. I pray that we move deeper into worship, deeper into fellowship with you. In your name, amen.